professional sports, as you know, and working with tennis is extremely mental. You know, Mm -hmm. I always say I'd be a terrible baseball player as much as I love baseball, because I'm like, how do they forget the pitch before that was terrible? How do they forget that, (laughs) that, you know, that when they had a really terrible strike where they swung at the wrong pitch, you know, I, the amnesia you have to have from moment to moment, you know, always amazes me. So I would say I have a profound respect for the mental side of being a professional athlete. It's as important as the physical. So I think creating an alliance with the athlete is number one, most important. If you've ever asked yourself, how can I get better clinical outcomes for my patients? Then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Rehab Link's Secrets to Success podcast, where I will be interviewing experts and teaching you how to access the best technologies, strategies, resources, and solutions so you can get the best outcomes that your patients deserve. Thanks for joining me. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Rehab Links Secrets to Success podcast. I'm Lisa Chase, your host. And today we have two special guests, actually, <laughs> uh, Dr. Abby Torrance and little Dallas. Yes, oh. he decided that this was a better place to take a nap than in his bassinet. So we wanted to make sure we got through it all. <laughs> I love it. It's great. Well, we we welcome both of you. So, you. Um, so Dr. Torrance has a great background. Um, she's a chiropractor and specializing in sports medicine and orthopedics. And you have a company called Love Help, with I, which I really want to hear more about. I was actually talking to your husband last night, uh, the, the other Dr. Torrance, and he was telling me um, a bit more about it. So I'd love to hear more about that. And, you know, you teach with Rock Tape and, you know, you're a super fit, super mom of two and, you uh, you know, we've watched you over the years with, you know, doing Pilates and staying so active. And I know you're super active in the community and helping lots of athletes from CrossFitters to runners uh, to working some uh, Olympic uh, competitions. So let's just jump in so you can tell our listeners a little bit about your journey and uh, what you're doing in the community here in St. Pete. Well, thank you. That's such a nice introduction. Sometimes you forget what you do until someone summarizes it, correct? <laughs> <laughs> and yours would take like 15 minutes to get through. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, so Love Health started in actually Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. And we, you know, within just a couple of months branched out down in Florida because we were actually going back and forth between Philadelphia and St. Pete at the time. So that's where the name comes from. And the business originated as a collaboration between the other Dr. Torrance and I, where he was doing a lot of uh, functional medicine, personalized medicine. And then I was doing the personalized, more rehabilitative medicine. And it was just a great, you know, team synergy there, because as we know, it's the whole person that's involved in our health. So um, that started back in 2016, and we have been in the local community since 2017. So that is kind of how long we've been here in St. Pete doing what we do. Um, And in terms of what our practice looks like, the primary arm of the practice is what I do, which is the movement-based medicine. And those are, I call it kind of like a boutique therapy session. You know, it's not your typical go to a chiropractor, you spend five minutes there 
and you get adjusted and you leave, I spend an hour with every patient really digging into the root cause of their problem. So if it's someone comes in with wrist pain or foot pain or back pain, I'm looking at the entire body from big toe to skull and figuring out the combination of factors that are leading into that structurally, as well as considering the, the factors that are biochemical or emotional and how they all play together. So that is kind of the cliff notes of, of how we work up a patient. Yeah. And, you know, it's so important. And, you know, at Back to Normal, same thing, right? We're really, mm -hmm. you know, looking at that whole person. It's just so important. I mean, you know, oftentimes patients come in and they they do have multiple things, right? And to be able to have a practitioner that can really look at the whole person and address the whole person, I think is just, you know, so critical. So it's great to know, you know, that, you know, that you are doing that in the community for sure. Thank you. Thank you. And it never ceases to amaze me the cases that pop up. You know, they call it practice for a reason, because even us who have been in the field for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years have cases that continue to to surprise us or be interesting. Like I recently had someone with a lot of musculoskeletal symptoms, but it was really heightened by anxiety and stress and kind of a grief um, event in their life, you know, just changing to a new normal and they were very much musculoskeletal, but triggered by, you know, neuroemotional causes. And I, you know, it's, it never surprises you how dynamic the human subject is. Yeah. And how things come out in the musculoskeletal system, right? I mean, whether mm -hmm. it's something organ-based, inflammatory-based, or emotional-based, um, you know, the patient that presents in front of us, it's oftentimes through the musculoskeletal system that they become symptomatic, but not necessarily the root cause. So yeah, that is that is so true. So so tell us a little bit about your background in sports and in CrossFit. I know you are an avid yeah. athlete, and um, and both you and uh, you know uh, Ron have done a lot of CrossFit. So tell us a little bit about that and how you know you help that community. That was a really amazing opportunity in my career that I think that's where I say I grew up as a clinician. You know, I was kind of, you know, went out into the field and as chiropractors, we don't have as much of a residency as, you know, physicians do or physical therapists do. So a lot of our learning is on the job training after you're released from school. I had the benefit, like I had all these, like, you know, what do they say? Um, luck is the, the meeting point of preparation and opportunity. Yes. And I lucked out so many times in my career with like how I was able to get some really unique experiences. So I think the first one was in uh, actually in school, you know, we have all these credits we have to finish. It's kind of like our clinical residency. And I just didn't see myself sitting in downtown Dallas, you know, seeing people I'm recruiting from my running group the whole way through school, which was great, you know, and that actually built up my first practice. But I wanted to do something more sports oriented. So somehow I was selected early in an early semester to go to Bogota, Colombia and work with the Colombian Olympic Committee. I saw so that. it was really, really a neat experience to be able to trade in kind of a mundane way of finishing your clinical requirements and doing something really neat, like, you know, on on the side of, you know, sidelines and fields and seeing injuries you wouldn't expect, you know, dislocated toes and, you know, things that are more emergent to things that are like an acute low back, you know, right. and things like that. 
Because in clinic, a lot of times you are kind of manufacturing your cases and just getting friends and family to come in. And, you know, so it was real life experience. And in in a community, I didn't even know that I wanted to be a part of. So I went to chiropractic school wanting to be what I call a hippie doctor. I wanted to do Mm -hmm. herbs and nutrition and, you know, more on the, on the alternative side, but I fell in love with sports in that, um, in that internship uh, with the Olympic committee. And so that was the beginning of my love affair with sports. (laughs) And then, uh, in my second year in practice, that was the the company I worked for called Arosti, which had a really strong relationship with the CrossFit Games. Yeah. So pretty quickly, I was able to jump right into a team that was treating on site at CrossFit Regionals when there used to be Regionals and the CrossFit Games. So that was, you know, I was probably three, four years in practice at this point, and I'm shipped off to California to see professional athletes every 20 minutes and keep them tuned up in the most physically demanding, you know, four days of their professional careers. So, you know, that was a really awesome opportunity that, you know, formulated how I see my patients and see acute sports injuries. And so that was another lucky opportunity. Yeah. And, and it is, um, it's a very different experience, you know, um, and a different mindset, um, you know, when you're working with those high level athletes, and we can certainly take much of that as I do, right to our to our patients, but talk a little bit about, you know, we're gonna we're gonna talk more about getting great clinical outcomes. But I'm interested in your perspective for an athlete. Like, what is it about that professional athlete and that mindset that when you're approaching them allows you to get those great clinical outcomes? You know, uh, professional sports, as you know, and working with tennis is extremely mental. You know, Mm -hmm. I always say I'd be a terrible baseball player as much as I love baseball, because I'm like, how do they forget the pitch before that was terrible? How do they forget that, (laughs) that, you know, that when they had a really terrible strike where they swung at the wrong pitch, you know, I, the amnesia you have to have from moment to moment, you know, always amazes me. So I would say I have a profound respect for the mental side of being a professional athlete. It's as important as the physical. So I think creating an alliance with the athlete is number one, most important, you know, verifying that you see how important this sport and this event is for them. Your goal is not to sideline them and tell them they'll never play that sport again. They need to stop doing this. They're hurting themselves. You know, I'll tell someone who's in the middle of like, an activity or has an event that they're trying to do. I'm like, you're not going to hurt it more, you know, by doing this event, but you're definitely going to delay your overall healing. I'm a pit crew. I'm here to, you know, screw that bolt a little tighter so that you can do that next event. So we're not looking for a pain-free resolution that I like to promise my general population patients, but in the sports arena, you have to meet them where they are. I'll be like, Hey, let's get through October because that's the crunch for your sport. And then we'll focus on healing after this. So whether it's, you know, a high school runner that is trying to get those last, you know, senior year races in before they commit to their college, you know, I have those experiences or, you know, a professional volleyball player that has to play next weekend. You just have to see what their goal is and tell them how you're going to get them through that and let them know it's not going to feel great, but how do we help you perform? Yeah. And I love how you said, meet the athlete where they're at. I mean, I think that is just so critical. And, you know, I think understanding the athlete mentality and, you know, partnering with the athlete 
and oftentimes their entire team. When you're talking about professional athletes, it's coaches, it's parents, it's sometimes it's media, it's sponsors, it's lots of different factors that are playing into the stressors or the demands that an athlete um, has to, you know, undergo that maybe the general population is not having to, you know, consider, they might have to be considering other things, but yeah, I think those things are all really critical. Um, so now I know that you go around teaching with rock tape. And so tell us a little bit about that and how you utilize that um, with your patients. And uh, we spoke a little bit about this at the, our last uh, happy hour, but I didn't get to finish this story, you know, because we always have this little guy who demands <laughs> our attention. So I think one of the coolest things that we share is that we both did the original Kinesio text taping course back in 2008. I remember I got like the last spot and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm on the cutting edge of this yeah. medical technology. And it is an awesome tool. It is a very yes. cool tool, the the kinesiology tape, which is you know, the way I teach that is like, okay, it's just like you say toilet tissue and you say cottonelle. Kinesiology tape is the overall discipline and like rock tape, KT tape are the brands. So that's how you can discern what rock tape is and how it's different than KT tape. Right. Um, and what sets them apart is really what comprises the tape, which is how expensive the cotton is, how nice the nylon is, how their adhesive is formulated, how much stretch is on the tape. So that's what sets the brands apart. Um, I just like to give that little plug so people know what yeah. kinesiology tape entails. I think that's and it is uh, because I love rock tape, but a lot of people love various other types of tape. Sure. So I went to kinesiology text course and I was like, okay, I am now the queen of taping. I'm the only one in my class that has done this. So I was still a student at the time. And and I felt very excited about that. But then I needed some more hours, maybe five years later, you know, I was like, so yeah, we're like 2012 at this point. And I went to a rock tape course and I intended because I was the queen of taping, of course, to just sit in the back and catch up on notes and zone <laughs> out and get my hours. But then I was like, I'd hear him like introduce a study. And I was like, okay, that's different than what I learned. And then there was another study. So they had reframed what the tenants of tape um, are and how it how we think it works based on the science. So uh, K, or kinesiology tape kind of was more theoretical. And so they brought literature to the table. And so I like put my computer away and then like was <laughs> just absorbed. And from that lunchtime on, I started to stalk that instructor and be like, I want to instruct this. Like, I believe in this, but I love the tape and I love what you're saying. And so again, somehow I spoke to the right people and became friends with the right people. And they saw some kind of potential in me to be an instructor and they let me join the team. <laughs> so I was actually the only female instructor for a couple of years back in the early 2010s, I guess. And uh, then the team grew from there. So the company that I worked for um, allowed me to deliver the rock tape education internally to all of our new hires, because I said, we practice in an evidence-based way and this is the best um, evidence that we have. And they actually update their education annually with the mo most recent literature. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I didn't know all the history behind, you know, rock tape. We've been talking about having you come and instruct, you yeah. know, team. So, um, yeah, so that's good to know. Now for the listeners, you know, I know that Kinesio has been around for a while and we've kind of first introduced on the scenes, right. Of the Olympics, right. And everybody saw the volleyball players were taped and, 
I think some of the swimmers. And so that really mm-hmm. gained interest and, um, and it kind of took off from there. But some of our listeners may not really understand like what, you know, what, what does the tape do? How does it help somebody? So maybe speak to that for a minute. Absolutely. And that's one of my favorite things to talk about, even though rock tape has probably about eight to 10 courses now, basic taping where we teach this is still my number one favorite. So as I mentioned quickly, I know I'm talking like an auctioneer about some of this stuff, is that the tape has four major ingredients. Cotton, you know, that's basically what the tape is made out of. Nylon has a one directional stretch in the lengthwise direction. The third ingredient is the acrylic adhesive. So it's not latex. So any latex allergies are safe. And then the stretch that's applied on the tape in the factory. So those are the four components that make up the tape. And stretch is actually, you know, most noteworthy because that's what allows it when you take it off the paper and apply it onto the skin, it creates what we call paper off tension. Mm -hmm. Since we have that unidirectional nylon stretch, it recoils back to the center of the piece of tape and creates every effect that we're looking for. And the three major effects are pain reduction, decompression, or what we call fluid dynamics of swelling or bruising. And third is neurosensory or kind of like proprioception. So the stretch in the tape and the fact that it applies directly to the skin are the, is the method by which we're able to attack pain, reduce pain on an area, decrease inflammation in a local area, and also help the brain identify with a kind of um, sleepy area of the body, if you will. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's great. I think that's really helpful. And I mean, and I've been, you know, was exposed when I was on the tour to many different types of tape from the kinesio to the athletic tape, which is very different in how it's made Mm -hmm. and its purpose and stabilizing joints and things like that. So um, I think tape in so many different ways can be hugely helpful um, as an adjunct tool to help us get great outcomes. So uh, that would lead us into the next, you know, section, which is uh, you sharing some of your, you know, tips on how you get great outcomes. You know, it's a joke that I say, um, and it kind of dovetails off what I said about building an alliance with an athlete. So this is general population or an athlete. Um, The joke I say has some truth to it, but I'm like, I'm 20% good clinically, 80% likable, you know, so (laughs) I think that's really, really listening and connecting and being there with your patients is a huge component of it. I mean, I've, you know, I like to do fun little cosmetic things like my eyelashes. And I remember quitting an eyelash girl because I simply didn't like the conversation. So I think that connection is a a huge tenant that I rely upon for clinical outcomes. Because then I get trust, you know, so in connection comes trust, you know, and I mean, I have, you know, people older than my father asking me how to navigate a a life changing knee injury, you know, and I'm like, wait, you know, it's how are you putting trust in me, someone who's young enough to be your daughter and guide your, your care. So that is a huge part of, of how I practice is building rapport and trust. Um, And then, you know, I think, I really consider, and I don't mean to like toot my own horn, but I feel like through my experience with sports and the people I've aligned myself with, both in the medical community, physical therapy, athletic training, you know, I've, I've really opened myself to a diverse community of clinicians. I feel like through that, I've become a pretty good diagnostician. So Mm -hmm. I feel like the accuracy, like if that, you know, that 
uh, gentleman I was thinking of when I said the man older than my father, he came in with knee pain and it was no onset, you know, it was just kind of insidious. It kept on swelling, pain would come and go with, you know, things. And, and I was like, you know, that sounds like you have uh, what we would call bone marrow edema, you know, just through my practice building a yes. repertoire of cases, this, you don't have anything that points to a meniscal injury. You didn't do anything except walk to your favorite lunch spot. You right. know, there was no rotational injury. So, you know, because of his case, you know, I felt like I was like, I think we should get an MRI, but I'm, I'm 80% certain that you have this. And it was that, you know, so it's, it, that also builds the trust when you, I, you know, I'm like, this is my hypothesis. If I had MRI vision, it would cut to the chase a lot better, but based on my experience with the way your swelling is, I think it's this. So, um, and getting an MRI to confirm it. But also in that rapport building, I'm like, we're going to get an MRI, but my question is, then what? We don't just get our MRIs for fun to see what's inside. You know, we would see a lot of stuff we don't want to see. I'm like, we have to commit to each other that if it's something on my differential list, we have another step to do something about it. Right. You know, so, you know, in in his case, there is an interventional procedure through my husband's practice, Regenex, that does extremely well with that. So that is kind of how I mentally worked up that case and I'm guiding him to a good clinical outcome. And the key is, is sometimes it's not with me. You know, I've told people, yes. I'm like, go to, go see, you know, Lisa Chase. She has stuff that I don't have that your injury needs. You know, I'm a, I'm a four walls, thumbs and emollient kind of girl. You know, I don't have a bunch of, you know, things that can get deeper into the tissue. I don't use needles, you know, so I love having colleagues that have things that I don't do because I'm I'm really confident in what I do and I want people to get the best outcomes with someone else in a way that I can't help them. Yeah, I think that's that's so true. I think, you know, I always say the mysteries in the history. So listening and asking the right questions, I think is really critical. And then, you know, um, 10,000 or more hours make a difference, you know? So, yeah. you know, to those new clinicians that are out there, you know, it, you know, you just have to kind of build your base, surround yourself with people that I always say that are better than you, that know more than you, or, you know, are where you, you know, you want to go, right? And learn from them because it is that experience and through working with other clinicians and experiencing different cases that you start to develop that repertoire and understanding when you see certain things, either you know and expect how it's going to turn out when you treat it mm-hmm. or the signs and symptoms are, you know, leading you down a path that you know, okay, this is what I need, you know, to do or, you know, this is how I'm going to identify it. And then having colleagues in the community, I think is, you know, really critical. I mean, you know, I, I do a ton of work, you know, with Ron and, and vice versa and, you know, really trying to do what's best for the patient and find people in the community that are really good, um, you know, clinicians and want to have that, you know, that partnership to help patients get well. So, yeah, absolutely. Great. And I'm grateful to have you. That's, oh, that's what I love. And by yeah. <laughs> I know. You know, and, and I don't know if you experience this, you know, I, this is something that just kind of struck with me and you may have experiences going from the tour back to more, you know, you work with a lot of athletes now, but you have general population as well. Um, Because I was sports, and then I was basically administration. So I had like a five year gap where I was like a clinical trainer. And I did a lot of teaching and more like super part time practice. And then I went back into full time practice. And, and I remember almost 
you know, I was like six years into practice starting, not starting over, but I had to build new case knowledge because going from primarily athletes to the general population, I was like, this is so different. You know, we're not dealing with turf toe. We're dealing with, um, you know, a disc that's manifesting as plantar fasciitis and, you know, it's different. Oh my God, that is so true. I mean, I remember after being 10 years on the tour and working with that particular population and then coming back to the general population, it's like, not only was it a disc, but it was like heart disease, diabetes, you know, all these comorbidities and other things that many of our athletes didn't have that you have to take into consideration, the healing and inflammation and they're just a variety of things. So yes, I mean, I think, you know, we kind of ebb and flow and go through, you know, different periods as we're, you know, um, I think going through our career. And even when I went on to the tour, I went from a general population, had worked with athletes, but had not worked with, on that particular level. And especially in that acute care, you know, like you were saying, like they get hurt on court and you're there and you have to figure out, okay, is it safe for them to continue? Can you tape? Can you get them through the match? And that's very different than like you said, what walks in our door when we're Mm -hmm. in the clinic, right? It's not necessarily those acute, you know, injuries with those kind of demands. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that I love that and it keeps me challenged and constantly, you know, I think, you know, keeps you learning and growing, which is really, I think, important as a clinician and to get, you know, great outcomes. I think you have to be curious and, you know, want to learn more for sure. And actually, Ron and I were talking about that. Um, he was talking about being curious and how um, uh, important that is. Yeah. So, yeah, that's I love that. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, how about, I know that, you know, between obviously, you know, your athletes, your patients, and certainly as an instructor, you bring, you know, some natural gifts to those populations. So maybe talk a little bit about, um, any tips that you think your particular audience really resonates when they're working directly with you. Um, so I, I would say maybe, you know, in the technique, that I have been mostly trained in, you know, it's not technically a technique, it's just, you know, it's fascial based, you know, we'll just call it fascial therapy. So um, I feel like that it is pretty unique in the sense that it's like, I always tell people, I'm like, it's slow, it's deep, and it's boring, you know, (laughs) but it's kind of what we have to do. And a lot of um, practitioners, like don't have the patience or the desire to beat up their hands (laughs) to, to do that, you know, so I actually really enjoy that, you know, even though I have tools, you know, like a, a, a blade or a Graston tool, which is like a metal tool, which I will use, I feel so much more connected, you know, when I'm just hands on skin and, you know, do that way. So I would say just the way that the manual approach has become so second nature to me, you know, I'll just chit chat and have a conversation about, you know, someone who's a Disney enthusiast, you know, while I'm doing my manual therapy because it's so like second nature to me at that point. So I would say in the realm of therapy, that is kind of a unique um, gift. The desire, willingness, and ability to do that nature of tissue work. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like you did, it is funny how after you start to master a skill, that it, you know, you just are doing it and not even thinking about, you know, 
you know, how, uh, you know, where your hand needs to be, you know, exactly the orientation of the joint, like you just, it becomes, you become one almost with the tissue. Um, so mm -hmm. I can appreciate that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Actually my first year of practice, I, I almost like don't talk about it on purpose because it's, it was formative, but it was a, not a great experience. It was like an associateship. I worked with another doctor who I expect to men, I hoped would mentor me. And I think she expected me to just come in like a dynamo. And I very much was not a dynamo. I went from, you know, Columbia working with professional athletes to clinic where I was basically learning general population. Right. And yeah, I needed, so I remember being on you know, I don't know if YouTube was back then, whatever online videos I could find, like really massage therapy, because I hadn't learned my yeah. fascial techniques yet. I was like, sure. trying to figure out like, okay, how do I how do I touch like, you know, Terry's minor, like, you know, I remember trying to do that, you know, my first year in practice, because I felt so, you know, out of touch with like how to be effective in those arenas. So it's it's kind of funny to feel so competent now. And I remember considering leaving the field altogether, you know, at that mm. point, because it was, it was a challenging feeling to be so green. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I remember feeling that way when I went on to the tour, because I had been practicing 10 years and maybe, well, you were, I know, so you were said you were a student kind of coming out of school when you did uh, the training, but I had been in practice for 10 years and I felt like, okay, I know what I'm doing. I feel pretty skilled. And then you go into this completely different arena and you feel like a fish out of water. You're like, oh my God, do I know anything? Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, you do, but it's different. And, um, and there are new skills that you have to learn. So, um, but again, I think it's great to be constantly challenged and never settling, you know, for just the status quo. Absolutely. Agree. Well, excellent. So um, is there anything else of value that you would like to offer to our listeners? Um, I think, well, on my maternity leave, uh, you know, this time I'm kind of two months into my three months where I'm focusing on what I actually told my husband this morning is harder than the board exam, which is mastering parenting. Um, <laughs> that is like, I didn't get the notes for that. You know, there's some days <laughs> that are such a challenge. I'm like, I would rather take part four of my boards again than, you know, <laughs> like try and figure out this toddler situation. So, um, <laughs> So I mentioned at the beginning that we had a functional medicine arm to our, you know, practice when we, when the inception, you know, happened in 2016, but my wow. husband then became, you know, engulfed in Regenix and that time, you know, fell away. So I actually have set it as a personal goal on maternity leave to reinstate my ability to, you know, very easily help my patients get blood labs that they're looking for to kind of round out that whole picture. So that's kind of an exciting arm, you know, that I've always stayed plugged in with, like, that's an arena that, like I said, I always stay curious. I'm always researching, you know, different biochemistry based on labs. Cause I'm sure you have patients bring in labs to you and be like, what does this mean? Yes. You know, cause they oh, go yeah. to their primary and they're like, everything's normal. And I'm like, well, yes, it's not red, but <laughs> you're like low normal or high normal, you know, that's right. And that affects your ability to manage pain and things. So uh, since I'm a chiropractor, you know, thankfully my license has, you know, some ability to create, you know, basic blood lab orders. So I wanted to make an easy economical way for my patients to get those blood labs. Um, and so I found a way to do that. And I'm kind of reinvigorating that side of the practice uh, when I nice. return in November. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that it's so great to be able to have that, um, you know, right within your practice and, you know, you're right. You know, what, 
um, a general physician may look look at, right? They're looking at, okay, yeah, this looks normal. But when you're looking at it more from a functional medicine perspective, there the norms are different, and and um, you know what you're really wanting to target um, can be different and really make a difference um, in somebody's overall health, ability to get out of pain, or even you know really help that healing process. So. That's great and exciting. And and there's a, a huge like chasm between, you know, the person who can order the labs. Cause I always tell people, I'm like, I don't really have the time or ability to get on a call with you weekly for you to tell me, you know, like that, you know, what your health coach, essentially, I'm not a health sure. coach. I can help right. you find the information, but then I know in your practice, you have an arm of health coaching. It gives me the yes. ability to refer to health coaching. So I actually find health coaches the hardest to refer to, you know, because, yes, you know, it's, it's like, okay, what, what will they be doing? It's like, okay, you have, you know, your TSH is high because, you know, this might be happening in this hormonal matrix. Okay. Yeah. We know that I can help you see that, but this person can help you on the daily basis, you know, make that more normalized through nutrition and, and other factors. Yes. And like you mentioned, so I like to refer. Yes, exactly. And that's where we can work closely together. So Jillian's our functional nutritional therapist, and she's fantastic at really pulling all those pieces together, whether it be lifestyle, whether it be, you know, some supplements and nutrition and how you marry those things to improve, you know, the, the different things that come up in, you know, in labs and those kinds of testing. So uh, good. So we'll be collaborating more on that. That'll yes. be great. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, this was great to have you in little Dallas. He looks like he's out now. Yes, he did great. He got an A plus. He, he I was like, listen, did. buddy, we got to We got to stay asleep so that we can have a good conversation. So he did his job. Yeah, he did an awesome job. Well, um, why don't you tell our listeners how um, they can find you? I will put uh, some of your all the information you sent me in our show notes, but just best way that they can um, reach out to you if they'd like. Yes. So uh, my Instagram is Mrs. MRS love health doc. And uh, just forewarning, it's a lot more lifestyle focused, but it's just a, a way, you know, I, I use my Instagram as a way to be authentic, you know, because I didn't, I didn't find it to be authentic for me to demonstrate a stretch. I'm like, I want to show you what I'm doing every day, whether it's a run with my kids. And so it's more just lifestyle content, if you're inter interested in with that. And then my website is wearelovehealth.com and you can kind of check out what we do. There's online scheduling available and that is, um, those are the two major places. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time, especially with your busy uh, children running around and love having you in our community. And you're always an inspiration, you know, with, you know, how you keep your family and you keep, you know, your health at the forefront of everything, you know, that you do and that Ron does. I think you guys are great examples, um, you know, for other people in the community. So thanks for all you do. Thank you for saying that. Well, I appreciate you and look forward to collaborating more. Awesome. Well, until next time, keep getting great. Outcomes. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Rehab Link's Secrets to Success. If you haven't already, please share this out so that more people can get access to Rehab Link's Secrets to Success. Now, if you would like to work with us and connect with my team, 
please go to www.rehablinksystems.com where you can find our free tools, online trainings, and many resources to help you get great clinical outcomes. We look forward to serving you. Until next time.